Again, welcome everyone here and those online. I think it's so cool that we're going to be talking about education or that we're praying for education tonight because uh, that's something that the Lord's put on my heart uh, to share about. And um, what's really cool, what, I've, what I found cool is when I, I learned that tonight was geared towards education, I immediately put like, my name in to like, want to share something tonight because it was like, oh, I should do that. You know, not only am I um, part of the Next Steps department here, we do a lot of the adult education, the classes and things that we go through here at, at Res Life, whether that's Growth Track or Faith Essentials, even like Kairos and Freedom Ministries, uh, we do, I do help out with some of that as well. Um, but my wife, uh, Anna, who's here with me tonight, giving support, which I appreciate. Uh, she is in teaching as well. Um, she, she is uh, at a Christian school in town here uh, where we are sending our children as well. So it was like education's the topic, man, I got to get on that. Um, and so I really feel like the Lord gave me um, some very eye-opening things, eye-opening revelations for even just for myself for, for tonight. And so I, when you receive revelation, it's not just for you, Right? so that you can share that with others and then, and then plant that seed in their life for it to grow and do something in, in that person's heart, in that person's life. That's the way that the Lord designed it. So um, tonight's goal, uh, what I want to do is sort of lay a foundation for some definitions, right? We're talking about education, and I thought it only uh, appropriate to get a little bit of teaching in, right? Teachers, education. Um, so... Uh, what I would like to do is for us to um, just begin to sort of rethink maybe some definitions that we thought meant something, or maybe we had a perspective that wasn't fully complete about these words or these concepts, and, and allow the Lord to really give us more meaning and, and, and more revelation of what he has for us in these things. So um, before we jump in, I'd just like to cover tonight in prayer. So, Father, I thank you for these words that you've given me and this thing that you've planted in my heart, Lord. I ask that you would help me to communicate clearly. I thank you, Lord, for the, the soil that is in everyone's heart tonight, whether here or online, Lord, that you've been tilling that soil to prepare whatever you have for them to receive tonight through worship, through the message, through communication with others afterward, Lord, I thank you for everything that you're going to do in every person's life that hears this message in Jesus' name. So uh, when it comes to like education um, and definitions specifically, um, we all can maybe have a different uh, idea for what one word might mean. Um, we all come from different backgrounds, different education levels even. Some people are older, some people are younger. Um, ed education and sort of how we were brought up, those two things can determine sometimes tradition and mindset, right? Our outlook on life and in the things that we do. Um, tradition and mindset then can also determine certain definitions and ways that we go about doing things. Um, Definitions and ways that we do things is part of what we want to flip on its head tonight, okay? So in order to do this, um, it's going to require a few things. For us to, to change the way that we think about some things, 
uh, it's going to require a little bit of repentance in some areas. And we'll get there. Trust me. Uh, it's also going to require some, a little bit of obedience to walk in God's calling for our lives and following the passion that he's put inside of us. So, um, like I said earlier, I want to I lay a little bit of groundwork uh, for understanding and rethinking some of these definitions. Specifically, um, the definition of something that we've all heard, we all know, it's near and dear to our hearts, it's near and dear to Jesus' heart, repentance. Right? We've all repented. We would think. I would certainly hope. Um, repentance, though, I think sometimes our definition of repentance is confused with the result of repentance. Sometimes we take a word like repentance, and, and Jesus calls us all to repentance, right? What, what sometimes when we hear that word repentance, we can think that Jesus is calling us to uh, behavior modification. And that's where it stops. It, it, that's the repentance is just do better, don't do the bad things, do the good things, right? Stay the same person, don't do the bad things, do the good things. But I want to bring up in Matthew 3, verse 2, and this is John the Baptist. He's, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is when he's going to uh, be baptizing Jesus. And then later in Matthew 4, 17, after Jesus is baptized and then goes into the desert, and he comes, he's ten tempted by, by the devil, and he comes back out, and he begins preaching the gospel, right? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And, and he says also, he quotes John, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what... He, we can read that and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and our mind, our, our sometimes screwed up human, albeit fallible mind, says, do better, don't do the bad things, do the things God wants you to do, for the kingdom is at hand, if you don't, you're going to get squashed, you're going to get left behind, right? That's some sometimes where our minds can go. That's not what he's saying, though. What he's saying here, repentance, he's literally, he's saying to literally change the way that you think and process thoughts, which results in behavior modification. It results in you turning and going a different way, following the ways of the Lord. But he's saying here, change the way that you think and process thoughts, not just to do good things, but to, to be able to comprehend and hold the weight of the kingdom. Because it's here, it's for you. So one way that we hear this, the old way, is, is this, this domineering, this putting down, this, frankly, bad way of hearing. It's this pre-Jesus, this old paint can way of hearing, repent. But Jesus is saying, it's here my power is here. Change the way that you think about this. The kingdom is here and it's for you. It's not, you better do the right things or you're going to miss out. It's change the way that you think. Align your thoughts with my thoughts so that you can hold the weight of the kingdom. Because it's here. Right? And that's a beautiful thing. So, education. What does it mean to educate and to teach? Um, I have to just do a shout out to teachers, uh, my wife not only being one of them, but man, you guys, 
before even the last two years that we've been through in all of its craziness, you guys are stellar. Are there any teachers here tonight? Bless you. Thank you. Those of you online, thank you. Uh, it, it, it takes a special grace to be in the uh, career of, of teaching in that realm. Um, if I were to ask you if, if information communication, is that all teaching is? It's just regurgitating principles and true things, right? Or is it something more? What else does it mean? You know, God bless you teachers, but how do we shift perspective of something when all we know is our perspective of that thing? So when, if I'm a teacher and I'm just spitting, spitting, spitting information at you, and you're not, you're not engaging with it, I just spend eight hours of spit, 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 all this information, it might be true, but we're not, we're not engaging, we're not going back and forth, there's no discourse, there's no discussion, we're not learning things. What does it benefit you? Are you really grasping that? Is it really, is that information, while right and true, really having an opportunity to sink down deep and be planted right here? Now, as teachers, you have unique opportunity to help that happen, to have information, not just sit here for a test and then, and then have a, a student or a pupil forget it, but to really cement that in someone for them to carry with them their entire life. I mean, I look back at the teachers that I had. Some of them are still at the school that I send my children to and praise the Lord for that because they taught me so much. That isn't in a book. I mean, do you guys have anybody like that that's, that's taught you something outside of just here's some information I'm exchanging for your time that you're sitting here listening to me? You know? I mean, it's, it's, to educate is rich. To teach and to, to do life together, it's, it's powerful. I mean, just thinking about Jesus and his disciples, he did not just come tell them all the right stuff, and see you later. Like, they lived together. They breathed and ate, and like, they did life together everywhere they went every day that they lived. So how do we, again, I ask the question, how do we shift perspective of something when all that we know is our own perspective of, of that thing? Think of yourself as a student and you don't know the thing that your teacher is about to tell you. Or think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus is about to tell you something that you don't know. And then he says it. Where's your concept of understanding what that is? What's your concept of understanding what that fact is that your teacher just shared with you? A lot of times you can't have, a, you don't have a concept of it because you haven't lived it. You haven't been brought through it, and so it takes a bringing through of something to be able to shift your perspective, right? So we're looking for a perspective shift. And a lot of times, we don't necessarily know how to shift our own mind out of our own perspective, because it's our perspective. It's all that we have, right? If I think this shirt is black, well, this shirt is black. And it's a, it breaks down, the, the analogy breaks down simply, but it, it's not a different color, right? But what if it was? My concept of black is black, is this. 
So we need something to blow our own perspective out to like 10,000 feet so that we can see things in life and the stuff that we're going through the way that God sees it, right? God's perspective, not our own. Because like we see this much, right? And how much does God see? Everything. You know, it's not even comparable. Uh, but in, in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, we see God saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, this isn't talking about um, elevation, necessarily. This, this higher, this is, is more talking on um, richness and substance and value and quality, things of that nature. Um, so how do we get there? Like, how do we, how do we adopt the mind of Christ in our situation? How do we then share that with other people, right? Because we're, we're all called to educate, and we'll, get, we'll talk about that. We're all called to educate, so, so how, do we, how do we shift our perspective from this little old me in my specific perspective of what I'm dealing with into the Lord's perspective of that thing and then share that? I'll give, you, I'll give you a quick little story. This is, uh, this is something, when I heard this, it, it really put it into perspective that I could understand. It gave me a context to understand this concept <clears throat> of, of shifting your mind, of blowing it out a bit so that you can see something from a different, out-of-the-box perspective. So imagine yourself uh, as a salesperson. You're on a sales team. The business, the product, irrelevant. You're on a sales team. And so your team comes together and your supervisor says, all right, gang, we need to put our heads together and figure out a way to increase sales. So all of you, go ahead, go back, take some time, run the numbers. So you do that. You head back to your office, you're running the numbers, you're, 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 you're pulling things from this account to put over here, and you're shifting around what, what you have to work with, right? And, and you get it, and it's like, I cracked the code, Right? I found a way to increase our sales by 30%. That's what you found. So you bring that back to the team. You bring it to your, uh, to your supervisor and, and you say, I did it. I found a way, here's my plan, to increase our sales by 30%. And your supervisor takes it and he looks at it and he's like, man, that's actually like, yeah. Now, then he says, now, now what can we do to increase our sales by 300%. And it's like, I can't even conceptualize that. Uh, we have to like think completely outside of the box. That's not going to work with, with, other, with this. Um, man. And so it, it's like it takes a whole different set way of thinking to consider 300 versus 30. But all you've done is added a zero. I mean, that simple little thing, adding a zero, can completely blow your mind out of this, this box of this is how things work, this is my tradition, my way I was brought up, and this is it. But when you add that zero, it blows you out. So in order to shift our mind and perspective, I'd, I'd like to share a phrase with you. 
uh, a, a statement. And hopefully, this will result in a more rightly aligned perspective with, with God's perspective on some things. Anytime that God speaks something to you, it always carries two things. The message that it is and the power to be able to do it is grace. That's what that is, grace. Anytime God speaks something to you, it always carries the message of what it is as well as the enabling power to do it. His grace is sufficient, right? It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in I, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul's boasting in his weakness because he knows that he can't do it without Christ. Right? So we can't add that zero to boost our sales to 300 without Christ. That's the whole point. We're, we're not supposed to be able to do it on our own. That's what this is saying. God's grace is there and it makes all the difference. You ever wonder why you're stuck at 30% and not 300? We're not focusing on the right things. If we just adopt the mind of Christ and allow him to show us and lead us in where we need to go, reveal to us the truth that's in his word, boom, we've added the zero. We're thinking now in a whole different realm. So what I would like to say now, which I said before, but I want to reiterate, you are called to educate. You're called to teach. Whether you realize it or not, and I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'll show you. Whether you're a teacher in, as a profession or an electrician or a, a computer science whiz, whatever, you are called to be a teacher. You are called to educate. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's the Great Commission, right? It's another one that everyone knows. But let's look at it. Let's look at it a little bit closer. Let's really take it and let's consider. Let's add the zero, right? And let's think these thoughts that the Lord is, is giving us. So, <clears throat> therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've heard that a thousand times, right? We've, we've redone the math to get the 30% sales a thousand times. We've heard it. Where's the zero? Here's the zero. We're called to educate. Making disciples of all nations, right? That word nations in Hebrew is talking about ethnos. That's the word ethnos. So ethnos means something quite different than what our mind, when we hear the word nations, our definition, immediately goes to uh, geographical location, maybe political party, things of that realm, a, a, a finite space, when ethnos, the word that's used here, really means something very different. Ethnos does anybody know? I mean, it, it sounds like ethnicity, right? That's where we get this word from. So it's more talking about peoples, a people group. This, this nation is really this ethnos, this group of people. So it's a demographic. 
So what group of people or ethnos are you called to? Because this is the Great Commission. This is Jesus Christ telling us before he ascended to, to Father God, go and make disciples of all people. He wasn't just saying that to a, to a handful of people. That's to everybody. So when Jesus calls us, he says these things like repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand and go into all the world, make disciples, make of all nations. These two things together, what he's saying is when he calls us to repent and commissions us, hey, change the way that you think so that you can hold the weight of my kingdom and the power that's within. It, the ability to disciple nations is at hand. Like, it's yours. I've given it to you. It's here. Walk in it. All of the solutions to do that are already in it. It's here. It's for you. They're in you. See, God has created you in such a unique way to reach and teach the ethnos that he's called you to. And we know that God doesn't so we said earlier that when God gives you a word, when he speaks something to you, it carries both the message and the grace, the power, the enablement to be able to do that, right? And he's called you to go to a group of people. Who, so, so who is that group of people? Well, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but that's okay because he's already equipped you. He's already called you to do that, all of us. How cool is that? He gives us the power to be able to do that. And it's such a unique way because he's created you to do that. See, God's plan was always that the world would be blessed through us in our unique belonging to his family. You belong to the family of God in a unique way, differently than I belong to God's family because I'm Caleb Crocker and you're Ricky Long and you're, you know what I mean? You're you. And God created you. He created you to be a part of his family. So God's plan was always that the world would be blessed through us, right? And we see that in the Abrahamic promise in Genesis. Uh, a lot of us probably know that, but I, again, this is something that we think we know. And we only know what we know until we know something else, Right? So we're just we're trying to turn everything on its head right now. So that, like, repent, change the way that we think, change our thought process about things, allow the Lord to do His work in us, so that we can live rightly. So the Abrahamic promise, descendants innumerable, right? This this is what it's talking about. This the Abraham's descendants would be uh, more vast than the sands on the beaches and all the world, greater than the stars in the sky. It also talks about how all the nations will be blessed through him and all the nations will be blessed through his descendants. Now we can look at a word like blessed and think we know what blessed means. <laughs> We're doing that all on everything tonight. Um, but first I want to I look at something. So the Abrahamic promise is to Abram. First witness is what his name means. Abraham. Abraham begets and begets and begets and begets and begets. And then we have Jesus, right? So, but first, Abraham, he has a grandson named Jacob. And Jacob, he has a, a grandson named David. 
King David. So I want to I focus on this. Abraham, Jacob, David. And then Jesus, right? Eventually. So, there's two verses that I want to key in on here to really bring home a very particular point. First one is in Luke 1.33. It says, And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This is talking about Jesus. His kingdom will never end. And we know that, right? We know that the reign of Jesus, he's coming back. He is going to be, he is king of kings and lord of lords. But man, there is nothing no one can do to change that. There's, there isn't. There's no president you can elect. There's no uh, monarch that can be con- ruling a nation that won't have to submit to the king of kings. It's in his name. The Lord of lords. He is coming back and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jacob's descendants forever. The second verse is Isaiah 14.1. It says, The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. And this is talking about um, in the end. So how many know Revelation is, is prophetic, the book? But it's not the only time that Scripture talks about the end. In the, in the books of the prophets, towards the end of the Old Testament, there, we get a lot, a lot of information and really cool prophetic teachings and sayings, prophecy about the end times. And so this is one of those situations. Isaiah 14, 1. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob, who is Abraham's descendant. He is an inheritor of the promise. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. And that's happened. Israel is back where their land was. It says foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. So, who's a foreigner? Well, anyone who's not Israel, right? Gentiles. What are you? You're a Gentile. You're, you're not, I mean, maybe some of you are Jewish. But I'm a Gentile. But I read this, and I, I, I see that... Um, Foreigners, Gentiles, will join the house of Jacob and and unite with the descendants of Jacob. So we're going to be in that family. So, I mean, we've heard Pastor Duane on Sundays sharing this. You know, you're part of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic promise is yours as well. But this is just more proof that, yes, you're a descendant of Abraham if you are in Christ. Now, we we all know that, you know, we grew up singing the song, Father Abraham. Right, and you're kicking the legs and everything. I am one of them, and so are you. Did you ever think about that? I mean, we sing it, and we've sang it as children for so long, but have we really been taught, I am a descendant of it. I, I receive that same Abrahamic promise, right, to be in that house, to have Jesus rule over me. To be in the family of God. So one thing that I want to point out in that Abrahamic promise, it says that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you and your descendants, right? But that word bless, when you look at it in Hebrew, we have an idea or a concept of of, uh, blessed. 
the blessed life, right? We, we think, uh, hey, I was blessed last year to receive three stimulus checks, right? Many of us were. Um, if you didn't receive three stimulus checks, were you not blessed? Your, your, your status of blessed is not contingent upon how much extra money you get. You're blessed first. That's extra. It's great. But it, but it doesn't mean this. What this means, you ready? This is so cool. I love the Hebrew language it, because it talks in pictures and it carries so much weight and each word has so much filling and richness and substance to it. So this word here that we think means receiving something that makes me a little bit better off than I was before really means a knee. I'll, I'll explain. The, the root of this word, of this phrase, will be blessed when it's talking about Abraham and his descendants in the world. It's talking about a knee. And it refers to when you're before a king and you would kneel and you would bless that king. It also refers to a father who would pick up his child and place his child on his knee and impart something in bless. And it also refers to the process of, of grafting a branch into another tree where there was this, this trunk, this, this life-giving branch. Now, I've, now we've introduced something new to it. And it creates, a, it, it creates an offshoot. It almost looks like a knee, right? Did Christ say that he's the branch and we are the vines and that apart from him we can do no good thing? And that if we are in him and he is in us, we'll do all these things? Like, he's saying that you are in me. I have, I have imparted my, my blessing, my name, as this child, you're on my knee, and I'm imparting this to you. I'm bringing, I'm grafting you into me as part of my family. You are a descendant of Abraham if you are in Christ and you inherit not only the promise, you inherit a calling. And that calling is to be an educator. That calling is to the ethnos that you were created for. The people group that you were created to educate, to make disciples. Those people, the, it says the nations, the ethnos, will be blessed because of you and your descendants. So you're a descendant, so the world's going to be blessed imparted, grafted into Christ because of you as a descendant of Abraham. So we have a calling to bring the, the ethnos that we are called to into the family of God. That's amazing. God calls us all to be educators in this way. So you are called to educate and to make disciples and bring people into the family of God. But... A lot of times we aren't in that profession, right? We may not be 
up here or in a classroom setting or in a way where, hey, everyone's listening to us. But you are always educating someone. You truly are by your lifestyle, the things you do, the words you say. Even my wife and I, we have four children at home. You're always educating. I mean, children especially. And we look at this, uh, the, the four girls up here praying, praying for you, their, their, their siblings, their friends, their peers, praying for teachers and education. Like, this is what it's about. Teaching, that's why I'm like, you girls come back up here and do this. You got it. Like, you're called to do this. You are called to teach, but... You're always educating someone. And we can only teach the things that we have inside of us. Right? I mean, if I don't have peace, how can I, how can I educate someone at peace? How can I impart that? How can I graft someone into something that I'm not a part of? But this isn't a bad or a worrisome thing if, say, we don't have peace. Because, holy cow, it's an opportunity to reflect on what we have learned, what we have yet to learn, and allow the Lord to cause some repentance so that we can begin to think differently about the things that he's called us to, the way of life that he has for us. So it's not a worrisome or bad thing. It's an opportunity to walk in what the Lord, Lord, teach me, teach me, educate me so that I can educate the world like you've called me to. So you're always educating someone, but who are you intentionally educating? Because through the things that we do, we can, we can spread this message through our actions, through our words, as a byproduct. But who are we spending the time with intentionally? Who are we going after to, to rub up against each other, sort of, as, as Proverbs 27, 17 says, and iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And it's so important. Be, like, iron sharpens iron, it, 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 it requires some, some banging up against. I mean, if you're just to place, place bits of iron next to each other, they, they wouldn't do anything. It, it takes some, some, some rubbing and some sh- to, to, to get that sharpening. So education and osmosis are not the same thing. We can't just be next to someone and hope that they get it, hope that they understand, hope that they somehow know everything that I know because I've experienced something. So the goal is I've experienced something, now I need to intentionally like share that with someone. Take, for instance, my children. My children aren't going to know everything that I've known. I've lived for 30 years longer than them. I can't expect them to know. I need to teach them. And I'm called to teach them. Right now, they're a people group that I'm called to. So who are you called to? Who are you intentionally educating? See, it's important because you are called to teach that ethnos. You are uniquely gifted. And you have what the Lord wants to impart into someone. So are you imparting that? have something that I want to say when it comes to our children. You know, some of us may have grown children, some of us may have young children, but when we we hear this 
this verse that says train up a child in the way that they should go, that doesn't mean to determine their whole life the day that they're born. Right? God leads them. We're supposed to train them up in that way so that they can be led. But we're supposed to be led too. We're supposed to be led in the way that God has laid out for us. It says in Scripture that he directs the path, the footsteps of the righteous. So it's pretty clear that these things like blessing and education and repentance, they require this new thought process. And it can mean so much more than probably we were even previously aware of. We talked about repentance, and if we could, I'd just like to to bow our heads for a moment and, and consider this word, this repentance, you know, allowing our thinking to be transformed to the thoughts of God. You know, as we do, then we can see from his higher perspective and walk in his ways. Repenting is, it's, it's adding that zero and, and allowing your thoughts to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in turn, that, that gets us to where we need to be. That gets us acting and living rightly the way that God's called us to. God can get you anywhere he needs you to be in 24 hours. All it takes is obedience. One step at a time. One day after the next. But we have to repent. We have to, we have to acknowledge that we don't know it all and be led. And maybe, maybe you've prayed a prayer and made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you haven't. But maybe this concept of repentance is new to you. Maybe you've been taught something new today. And this understanding of allowing yourself to be, allowing not just yourself, but your thoughts to be led by Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, and to allow that to change who you are and, and have what you do come out of that, come out of this person that's, that you're becoming as, you're, as the Lord is transforming you into more like Christ. Repentance is not this willpower domineering thing. It's it's resting and allowing God to speak his right thoughts to our mind and then following those right thoughts. So if that's something that you've never known or real repentance is just something that you've never done, um, first I want to say you haven't missed out and you're not too far gone. Repentance is a daily thing. It's daily. No person can walk this earth 40 years and, and not repent and, and, and expect to have everything all, all squared away with God. Repentance is a daily thing. So whether it's the first time that you're acknowledging, you know what, Lord, I'm, I need to repent. I need, I need you in my life. I need you as my Lord and Savior. Or if it's the, the 300th time that you've prayed that prayer, and, and maybe today is the first time that you've understood something further in repentance. If you would, just whether you're online, you can, you can um, raise a hand online or say, yeah, that's me, or look up at me or, or raise a hand so that I know that I can pray with you. Because repentance is not something that 
that we just do one time by ourselves and then, and then everything's good. It's something that we continue to walk out together. So if that's you, just, just look up at me or, or, or raise a hand so that I can know who to pray for, who to pray with. So I'd like to lead you in a prayer and, and whether um, you've never said this before I, or you're, you've said it a, a, a whole bunch, I'd just like to say this in solidarity together for those of us who are making decisions. So Father God, thank you for knowing me. Thank you for blessing me into your family. I accept Jesus and his sacrifice as my Savior, as my Lord, my King, and I want into that kingdom. Thank you for your repentance. Thank you for your thoughts and your ways. Thank you for leading and guiding me into your truth. Thank you for equipping me to live, to carry, and to teach that truth to those that you've called me to. In Jesus' name, amen.